0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly
1: message. Tonight, we're going to be continuing with our series on the the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is where we take a little piece of Jesus' words and we dig down deep and see what we can find. And it is my hope as we sit with these words as we discuss them as we we can find new life in these verses that we are so familiar with. Uh, we can have them refreshed in our ears, in our hearts, and perhaps find something a little bit new as well. And so tonight we're going to be doing eye for an eye, so we're going to be talking about the vengeance and the justice verses. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, we've all heard that before. Now. What we're going to be doing is, like I said, I guess peeling back these layers, like peeling back the layers of an onion and looking at what's deep down inside there. So up top we have our own understanding, we apply our own context in today's day and age to these verses. Then we've got the exegetical meaning, so what did the people actually there listening to Jesus understand his words to mean? And then Jesus, he was a little bit cryptic sometimes, wasn't he? Sometimes he kind of you know talked in riddles or it wasn't quite straightforward so there's probably what Jesus was actually meaning in his words as well and then I think there's some underlying messages there if you really get down to the roots of it as well so we're going to be exploring these layers tonight so let's jump into the verse so it is Matthew 538 42 to 42 it says you have heard it said eye for an eye tooth for a tooth But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. So this is what we're going to be looking at tonight. So starting with the first verse there, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy 19:21 here. And this is the law of Moses that was given to the priests, given to the judge, those who preside over the court cases, the trials. And the actual quote goes like this. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. This is something the Jews were very familiar with. It's a law of Moses. It would have been drummed into them since they started going to Sunday school or whatever the equivalent was. Uh, So the idea behind this is to put a cap on vengeance. You see, revenge is always escalating, isn't it? If someone wrongs me, I want to get justice. I want to then exert my justice onto them, which always means doing what they've done to me, plus probably a little bit more. I want to one-up them. And then they need to get justice back on me. And so they need to one-up me. And so there's this back and forth and continues to get worse and worse and worse. And it's likened to a wheel. And we are spokes on this wheel. And as the spokes roll around, sometimes we might be on the top, crushing those below us. And sometimes then the wheel will turn and we'll then be on the bottom, crushed by those above us. And this wheel of vengeance, this cycle, keeps going around and around and around and around. And it gets faster and harder and harsher. And so the law of Moses is to put a stop to this wheel, to stop <coughs> vengeance in this track. You cannot deal out more than what was dealt to you. That was a law. However, here's the thing, eye for an eye tooth for a tooth can only limit the amount of evil retaliation. There's no life in it. It can only keep things even. It cannot bring joy, it cannot bring grace, it cannot bring life into a relationship. And to live by this mindset is to be bound by this cycle of action and reaction. It does not lead to freedom. Now this, like I said, is a cap. This is the most you could take from someone according to the Jewish law. However, instead of it being the absolute most, it was basically what I am entitled to. That's how the Jews were interpreting and using it. They weren't ever going below this threshold. They were taking, every time they took someone to court, they would go to the extreme, the most they could possibly legally get from somebody. And that's what they were using it for. And so even though it did cap this vengeance, there still wasn't the right heart about it as well. And so the law of Moses is meant to stop the wheel, but what Jesus is talking about in these verses, he's talking about how we smash this wheel, how we stop it from turning, how we stop this vengeance cycle from continuing and damaging all that get involved. And so lawfully, like I said, the Jews were doing the right thing. They weren't actually breaking the law, but they were really pushing the boundaries. But Jesus didn't actually come to change the law. He didn't rewrite the scrolls. He wasn't actually in contrast to the law of Moses, which some people think Jesus is actually you know, he's putting Moses in his place. He's not doing that. This isn't a legal principle. Rather, it is an ethical one that he's proposing. And the difference between the laws and ethics is law is about an extr- extrinsic motivator, something outside of us to help us do the right thing or to enforce that we do the right thing. I'm going to abide by the law. I'm going to do the right thing because I don't want to get punished. I don't want to get thrown in jail. I don't want the life uh, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for a tooth thing. I don't want that to happen to me. And so I'm afraid of something out there is going to get me. But ethics is the intrinsic motivator. It comes from inside of us. We want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. It makes us feel good. It's a testament to our quality of our character. And that is what Jesus is getting at. And so this is all about how do we stop this wheel of vengeance. Jesus tells us in the very next verse, it's quite simple. Do not resist an evil person. Basic, easy, done. I'll just stop the sermon right here. We will have no questions. It's hard, isn't it? Don't resist an evil person. How do we not resist an evil person? And this conjures up all sorts of ideas and extremes in our mind. At least it did for me as I was... Reading through this. If we do not resist an evil person, does that mean someone is in an abusive relationship? Does that mean they just have to stay in that relationship and cop that abuse every other day? We all receive scam emails and uh, phone calls and like this happens all the time. Does Does that mean the next time a Nigerian prince wants a name, he has his heir, I just have to give him all my money? On a large scale, what does this mean? Does an entire country, if an entire country is going to do this, does it mean it should demilitarise? Should we get rid of the police force and just let what happens happen in our society? And so there's all these extremes that our minds might go to. We might try to actually explain it away. So previously, in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus was using quite extreme illustrations to make his point. So when he was saying, you heard it say, do not murder, but I tell you, if you are angry with your brother, it's the same as committing murder. That is an extreme level. And Jesus was using that as an illustration that no matter what we do, no matter how good we are, we cannot enter the kingdom of God on our own merit. We need Jesus. We have to go through Jesus to get to God. So maybe that's what Jesus is doing. Maybe we don't need to take this quite so literally. However, there are some compelling reasons why we should. And one of the most famous writers ever to have lived, Leo Tolstoy, wrote War and Peace and many other uh, novels as well and books. He says this about Jesus' words, and he believes we should absolutely take literally. You can love a person dear with a human love, but an enemy can only be loved with a divine love. This is what Tolstoy says. And his words are compelling. He has influenced some of the greatest peacemakers of all time. So Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr. all took inspiration from Tolstoy's words of non-violent resistance. And Tolstoy is saying we should do what Jesus is saying. We should take Jesus literally because Jesus took himself literally. Jesus didn't use violence to resist the Jews, the Romans, there was no guerrilla warfare, there was no military coup. He allowed himself to simply be led to the cross, to his death. And this is what we're saying we need to follow, literally. And that's a difficult thing. That raises some issues, at least in my mind. How do we manage what we are talking about before those examples, demilitarising the country and things like that, as well as taking this stuff literally? There is an issue here. But the issue isn't with... <coughs> Jesus' words and issues with, I believe, our understanding of what he's actually saying or our interpretations of the, his words. So it's, and it's that word resist. Do not resist an evil person. That word resist, that's what we get stuck on. The word, the Greek word used for resist in, um, in this verse is athysstomy. And athysstomy, yes, it does mean resist, but it can also have a slightly varied meaning as well. And that very meaning is uh, to resist in kind. And that puts a different spin on this. And the word is spelt exactly the same. It's pronounced exactly the same. The only way we can tell which context it is uh, to be used in is what is surrounding that word. And since this follows directly Jesus saying, do not go with eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, I really believe Jesus' is meaning is do not re- respond to evil with evil. And so there gives us a little bit of insight into what Jesus is actually getting at. You see, Jesus is promoting pacifism. And pacifism is a great thing, but again, in our minds, it comes up and conjures up images of just complete submission, allowing evil to reign because we're not going to do anything about it. If you just go back a couple of slides, Dan. Yeah, oh, sorry, this lady just here. So she is doing an example of non-violent resistance. There's the riot squad or the military, whoever that is. They're obviously there. There's some government thing going on. Unfortunately, I don't know the background of the story. And she, what is she doing? She's putting a flower in the shield. And so she is meeting this violent resistance with an act of friendship, or a flower is an act of love in our society. If this was complete submission, then she would be sitting at home, in bed, pretending this isn't even happening, and just letting what happens, happens. This is what the uh, scholar Scott McKnight says about pacifism. Pacifism isn't quietism or withdrawal or inactivity, and it isn't simple submission. Pacifism's roots is connected to the peacemaking beatitude, rooted in love and expressed when the follower of Jesus actively seeks peace. And so it's not lying down; It's not allowing evil to take over, but it is not responding in kind. It's stopping that wheel of vengeance turning. It is not non-resistance, it is non-violent resistance, and there is a world of difference between the two. Let me give you an analogy, and I completely admit this is not a great analogy, but I really like it, so I'm going to use it anyway. Who here has played the game Hungry Hungry Hippos? Yeah, we're all kind of familiar with this game, aren't we? I think there's a copy up in Kids Church, if you like. Hungry, hungry hippos. And so, as you know, you got the tray with the four hippos around it. You pour the marbles in the middle. And when you say, go, you smash that hippo's tail as fast as you can. And the game goes for about 30 seconds. Marbles are flying everywhere. And at the end, you're out of breath. (laughs) You're a little bit flustered. You've got no idea who won until you count the marbles and see who the victor was. What if I told you there was a better way to play this game? A non-violent way to play this game. A less frantic way to play this game. Here's the hack. And you can use this at your next family gathering against your little nephew and uh, and just smash it. Okay, so, what you do is, rather than smash the tail as quick as you can, you hold the tail halfway down, and what happens is, the hippo will extend its neck the full way and open its mouth, revealing the trench underneath the hippo. And so, as all the marbles are bouncing around the board, any that come in contact with your hippo will go down that trench, and chances are, you'll end up with more marbles than anyone else. It's a great way to win. Drives the kids nuts. (laughs) Now, here's why it's not a great example. Because when we do acts of pacifism or non-violence resistance, on an individual scale, chances are we're not actually probably going to come up on top, at least in a material way. Yes, acts of non-violence resistance have changed countries, laws, governments, yes, on a big scale. The individual ones, the small ones, like I said, the material win probably isn't there. But there is a win ethically, and there is a win morally. And that, I think, is what Jesus is really getting at here. How does God view our actions? Paul says it better, far better than my Hungry Hungry Hippos analogy. Let's uh, put the verse up. And this is Romans 12:21. Nice and simple. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love that. It's so simple, it's elegant, but straight to the point as well as, do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, when we look at this non-violent resistance stuff, this pacifism stuff, in our own lives, I think a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us would struggle to think of a direct enemy that we might have. Does anyone here actually have a nemesis they can name? <laughs> Does anyone have a joker to their Batman or a Voldemort to their Harry? <laughs> Probably not. Some of us might, and no, that's your thing. Good on you. <laughs> but most of us don't. Uh, but this stuff, this vengeance cycle applies just to the simple day-to-day. And so, you might find out that someone you know has bad-mouthed you behind your back. And that gets that feeling of vengeance, that offence, start to flow. Maybe you've made a mistake at work and a colleague has emailed you about this mistake, and they decide to CC in the entire management team as well, so everyone knows about your mistake, you might want to seek vengeance on that person. Maybe you lent somebody your car, and they bring it back with an empty tank of petrol. That might get you going. Maybe someone puts you down on social media. That's something that happens all the time. In my life, where I most see this vengeance cycle uh, coming up is within my own marriage. I, Fung and I, we got married, we were 21 we were kids when we got married. So we've been married for 15 years, we've been together for almost 20 years, a long time. We were very different people back then than we are now. We didn't, hadn't really come into our own, uh, had our own ideas of the world, our own ideas of ourselves, fully developed. And so who we are now is very different to who we are when we got married. And in some ways, we've got closer. In other ways, we have moved apart. Sometimes we don't see things the same way anymore. And this causes conflict. Uh, when we look at things like the Enneagram, I am a nine. So I am uh, naturally a peacemaker. I kind of see things in greys. I kind of see everyone's side. Fung is an eight. She's a challenger. She thinks, sees things very black and white. <laughs> And so when we're talking about conflict or when we just talk to each other, we might say something that offends the other person without even meaning to. And sometimes we really do mean it. (laughs) That's a vengeance cycle thing going on. And so we have had to work long and hard to make our relationship work. Marriage is difficult, but it's worth it. But it is difficult. It it is hard. And so we we have gone to years and years of couple counselling. We're still doing it today just to keep it going, to help us be able to talk to each other and take that high road, that morally high ground, because we want to try to stop this vengeance cycle going within our own relationship as well. We want to see things from a different perspective, from God's perspective. I want to do a little activity with you all now. And don't worry, didn't get out of your chair. It's going to take about 30 seconds. And I saw this, I did this at a conference actually, going back a few years ago, and it's actually it's stuck with me all this time, so I want to do it with you, and hopefully it will stick with you as well. So what I want you to do, I want you to all get your favourite pointing finger, whichever one that might be. Okay. If, if you have multiple, just choose one. <laughs> okay. So what I want you to do
2: <laughs>
1: is find a point on the ceiling and just reach up and point to that area on the ceiling, right up high. Stretch your arm right up. Okay. Now, in a clockwise motion, start circling your finger around that point. Okay. Clockwise, the way it's
2: clockwise.
1: <laughs> okay, so as you're circling it clockwise, keep it circling, keep it circling, make it a decent circle, so your yeah, whole hand's moving, yeah? Okay, now start to lower your, your hand. Keep watching your finger, keep it turning clockwise. Keep it lowering, lower it past your forehead, past your eyes, keep it lowering, all the way down to about chest height. Keep looking at your finger. Now is it going clockwise or anti-clockwise? It's going anti-clockwise. What? <laughs> Let's do that again, okay. So you're pointing at, if, at the roof. Start spinning it clockwise. Okay, now start lowering it. Down a bit further, a bit further. You can do this at home if you're listening on the podcast. Don't do it in the car if you're driving. <laughs> All the way down to chest height. Clockwise or anti-clockwise? Anti-clockwise. Ah. <laughs> See, so I, I probably did this a dozen times till it worked out how it worked. <laughs> Your fingers still go in the same direction it's the perspective that's different yeah and so if you're under your finger you're going clockwise but if you're above your finger you go anti-clockwise ah (laughs) so many pennies (laughs) dropping so god's perspective is different to our perspective yes and he's looking at exactly the same thing we are and his View on it, Jesus' view on it. What's he saying about it? Might seem completely backwards to us. It doesn't make sense. It seems counterintuitive. But it's right. You know, it is right. It's a better way. Let me apply this to one of the parables Jesus told. And it's one we're familiar with. It's the one about the owner of the vineyard. And it's harvest time, and he needs to go out and find workers to harvest the vineyard. So he goes out to the town, finds some workers, say, Hey, I need to get my vineyard harvest. I'll pay you a full day's wage if you come and work for me. And they do, they go and they start working. A few hours later, he needs some more workers. So he goes back out to town, go find some more people, I need some workers for the vineyard, I'll give you a full day's wage, it's great. They come along, they start working. He keeps doing this throughout the day, up until the last hour of the working day. He goes out to town, finds some people and say, hey, I need some more workers in my vineyard. Um, it's only an hour, but I'll pay you a full day's wages. And of course they agree and they go and work in the vineyard. At the end of the working day, he pays them all the same, exactly what he promised. And the workers who were there since the beginning of the morning grumbled because they got paid the same as the workers that only did an hour's work. And in our minds, absolutely, so they should. In our minds, justice is, if you work harder, if you work more, you should get paid more. That makes sense. But this is God's point of view on this. Those who work less through no fault of their own should receive the same as those who worked all day. It's the same thing, but it's a different way of looking at it. I think it's a wider perspective. And really, it's more just perspective as well. So let's just quickly park all that for a second and go into these now three examples that Jesus gave us in uh, these passages. So the first one is, turn the other cheek. I love that picture. (laughs) Okay, so, to slap someone in the face, it's not about killing them or hurting them. You can't kill someone with a slap. It's really hard to. Probably take a lot of slaps. Haven't tested it out. (laughs) This is about humiliating the person. And in the Jewish culture, slapping someone in the face is the greatest offense you could ever give someone. And it's still very relevant in today's culture. You don't slap someone in the face without offending them. So if I walked up to Lachlan, I've only mean, talked, spoken to you a few times. We only just briefly know each other, and let's say I just went, "Wah!" Just slap you in the face for absolutely no reason. What would be the first thing to go through your mind, other than my hand? Why, don't you do that? Yeah, yeah, great. Right. And so, yeah, there's a state of shock. It's like a, a question. It's like, I can think of some other words. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get this cycle going. <laughs> okay, so let, let's just break this down a little bit. This slap in the face. Okay, so i slap you in the face. The first thing that goes through your head, it's this moment of shock. It's like, did that even just happen? And then you feel your cheek and yeah, it's red, it's sore, it's throbbing. Yeah, that happened. Why did that happen? And so then there's a moment of humiliation and, and that's really out of your control. The shock is out of your control. That's just your natural reaction. That, then that moment of humiliation, that's out of your control. As well, you feel embarrassed that I've just belittled you in front of everyone else in the church and then depending on your self-esteem chances are you start feeling angry that humiliation will turn to anger how dare you do that to me why would you do that to me if you got the self-esteem of w the house elf, you probably go yeah i probably deserve that don't know why but i'm sure i did but most of us will yeah, be quite angry about it and then that might that anger might manifest into a punch <laughs> into my face We cannot control the shock. We cannot control the humiliation. We can't even really control the anger, to a sense. But it's what comes next. That is what Jesus is talking into, that moment of offense and how that then manifests. How do we uh, act that out, then, in our lives? And that's when this wheel starts turning, or it can be stopped dead in its tracks. You see, that slap in the face is just simply an analogy for all sorts of offenses. So maybe you've just cleaned the entire house you've asked your partner just to take the rubbish out, and he's like, nah, that might be one of those slaps in the face. Maybe have one of those friends, and they're only your friends because you're the only one that puts in the effort to keep this friendship going. You're always calling them, they're never calling you. And so that can feel like a bit of a slap in the face. Maybe you're, you've been bending over backwards for your child and doing whatever you can for them, but that one time you have to say, no, we can't do that, they scream and tangent, this is unfair, my life is unfair. That might feel like a bit of a slap in the face. And so these moments, there's that turning point. Will we respond in kind with anger, with frustration, with um, trying to humiliate them, uh, an immature response perhaps? Or do we take that higher, that ethical ground and try to stop that vengeance wheel before it starts turning? The next one, giving someone your cloak. So, this passage is about obviously suing someone and taking them for everything they're worth. Now, in Jewish culture, in Jesus' time, most men wore two layers. They had their undershirt, their undergarment, and they had a cloak they wore on top. Now, you could sue someone for their shirt, absolutely, but you could not sue someone for their cloak. And that was biblical law, that was Jewish law, and that is because Especially in a lot of the poorer areas, uh, a lot of the peasants, even around the, the Egypt area, sometimes they only owned one cloak. And if they were really poor, that cloak also acted as their bedding as well. And so the Jewish law was there to protect the poorest of society. You can take someone's shirt, but you cannot take their cloak. It might be the only possession they have in the entire world. But what is Jesus saying? He says, if someone wants to sue you for your shirt, give them your cloak as well. Now, I think Jesus is actually having a bit of a joke here. I think he's cracking a bit of a funny. Because if you give some, if someone takes your shirt and you give them your cloak as well, you're going to end up looking like this Lego guy. You're going to be naked <laughs> in court, which is actually also illegal <laughs> as well against Jewish law. And so when Jesus is saying this, I think there would be a bit of laughter in the crowd. Actually, probably a lot of laughter in the crowd. There would have been a, probably a bit of, <gasps> and then the people laughing would be, ha, ha, ha. And then they realise, hang on, Jesus has some points he's making. He's going to be, ha, ha, ha. Huh. and so what jesus is saying when someone is asking you for something give them as well if someone cannot take something from you if you're freely giving it as well and jesus did this with his life and then the last one going the extra mile and we're probably most familiar with this going extra your mile. Is still a saying in today's day and age and a lot of us would know the roman soldiers by their law could enforce a local inhabitant to carry their lay, their burdens up until a mile and of course this was often abused and this again was also very much about humiliation it was humiliating for a Jew to carry the enemy's burdens past their friends past the synagogue past the temple through town it would have been absolutely humiliating for them as well now all these three points what all these three points have in common is it's all it speaks into our fear of people taking things from us whether that be our pride our possessions, our time. It's all about us being afraid to let go. However, to respond to evil with goodness disempowers those evil intentions. Jesus is asking us to give freely. And when we give free, we are free from the burdens, from the impression others would put us under. And this must be done with faith in God. Something bigger than us, something bigger than them. Without that, it just does come across as foolishness. It is about taking our stock from the world and putting it into God. And so, Jesus is asking us, where is our worth? Where is our self-worth? And this is, I think, the next lay down. This is what Jesus is trying to get at. Where is your worth? Is it in the world or is it with God, your creator, where it should be? And so basically, Jesus, in these three examples, is asking these questions. Is your identity in God strong enough to turn the other cheek? When we turn the other cheek, we are saying, you cannot humiliate me. Go on, slap me again, see if I care. I don't care what you think about me. I care about what God thinks about me. Is our identity in God strong enough to offer our cloak? Is someone having to pry these things out of our hands? Or are we, again, giving freely, just like Christ did? Is our identity in God strong enough to go the extra mile? If someone's forcing you to do something and you go the extra mile, it's like saying, you are not forcing me to go anywhere. I'm doing this of my own free volition. And so, this is about freedom. And when we look at things from God's perspectives, things begin to change. Again, this is not about allowing yourself to get mugged or killed or swindled or anything like that. But as we turn away from conflict we turn towards empathy. As we turn away from confrontation, we turn towards cooperation. As we turn away from our own inner dogmatic monologue, saying that I deserve better than this, how dare you do this to me. Uh, and turn, we turn towards a dialogue of equals. You see, these acts of non-violence resistance are very much like the act of forgiveness. When we forgive someone, it's not so much about setting them free from what they've done. It's about setting ourselves free from that hurt, that resentment, that pain, that grudge that we might be holding against them. This person who's wronged me might not be aware that they've wronged me. They're going about their lives, they're sleeping fine at night, I'm up all night uh, brewing over it, getting worse, and it's just seething and festering inside of me. But when I forgive, I become free of that. And I think that is the same with these acts of non-violent resistance. We become free of those who seek to burden us. It's about taking control of our lives, of what's happening to us in even the most difficult of circumstances. It's about walking our path or God's path instead of just being the victim. And so there's this transfer of power here. And this is what Jesus is getting at. By doing this, we are free from offence, we are free from oppression, we are free from the burdens others place on us, we are free from that wheel of vengeance that keeps on turning. And that's a great thing, this freedom that Jesus is offering us. Now I think there's just one more layer here, at least that I've been able to find that Jesus has been been talking about. And so we peel back that last layer, I summarise it like this, I return to the garden. This little saying, I've heard it a few times, but most recently, one of my lecturers actually brought it up in in one of his um, talks, and he didn't mention anything more about it, it was just in passing, but it really stuck with me, a return to the garden. There are so many connotations to this little phrase. It talks about going back to the way things used to be before sin came into the world. It talks about going back to the way we used to be, how we were originally made, how we were meant to be who we are, who our spirits are inside of us. Back when we were pure, our pure forms, our perfect forms, it's simple, it's good, it's right, it's natural. That, I think, is what Jesus is talking about, going back to the way things used to be. And so throughout his ministry, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. He's trying to explain to us what the kingdom of God is like. It's like yeast, It's like a mustard seed. He often tells us what the kingdom of God is like. Here, he's saying we can experience right here, right now, this is what the kingdom of God is like. There is no wheel of vengeance in the kingdom of God. If there was, we would all be done for a long, long time ago. The kingdom of God is duality. And so it is in the future. Yes, absolutely. It's something we look forward to with expectant hearts. We await the kingdom of God. But at the same time, it's here, right here, in the present, with us right now, in each and every one of us. The kingdom of God is living inside of us, just not yet fully realised. I like to think of it like a a woman who's heavy with child. She is a mother, absolutely. She interacts with her her child. What she eats, what she (coughs) drinks, goes into the baby. The baby interacts with the mother. She can feel it moving around inside her womb. She can feel it when it sits on a bladder and she has to pee every two minutes. But she's a mother, in every sense of the word, yes, but still not yet fully realized. And so the kingdom of God is in absolute contrast with this whole concept, eye for an eye. These examples are in the spirit of holding on to something that might be taken away. We're afraid we might not have anything left. There might not be enough to go around if we let people take things from us, if we give freely. But that's not what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is a place of plenty of abundance, a place of prosperity, excess. It is overflowing with wealth. It is bountiful. It is a place of banquets where there is only the finest food and the finest wine served. It's a place where the worker who came the last hour is paid a full day's wage just like the workers that turned up in the morning. It's a place where we're not limited by our brokenness, by our apathy or by our fatigue. It's a perfect place without this wheel of vengeance. And Jesus is saying, if you want to experience this right now, right here, right now, you can. You can experience the kingdom of God. You can experience heaven. You don't need to wait till you die, till you go through the pearly gates. You can experience heaven right here, right now, if you do this. Let go of the ways of the world. Have God's perspective on this. And you can be free. And I think that is what Jesus is really getting at here. Put away the laws of the world. God is our rightful judge and he's our loving father as well. Do what is right in his eyes and enter the kingdom of God right here, right now. We don't have to wait. How amazing is that? There's a little piece of heaven right here for us inside of us right now. Let me finish with a word of prayer and then Linda's going to wrap us up. God, thank you so much. For the way you made us originally perfect in every way free from all these things that bind us down that chain us down in this world lord and you invite us every day to return to the garden to the way things should be lord thank you god you are a just god you are a loving god and you preside over each and every one of us with your loving law and you call us to take that higher ground god it's difficult And we fall again multiple times, but you keep giving us another chance and you keep inviting us back to your banquet table to celebrate with you and to put behind us all of our shortfallings and pains in this area, Lord. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you, God, that you will be able to be one with us when we come into the fully realized kingdom of God. I
0: just feel like we should um, not quite finish there thank you Um, let's just um, take some time to be quiet one of the words that stuck out for me was um, that you said and it was a simple word forgiveness which is not easy to do And that's what this is talking about, forgiveness. So I just wonder if we can spend some time just within our own hearts, just checking, having a moment of checking. Is there something of what Horan has spoken about, which is sitting with me, which I need to let go of and get more of that freedom of Christ? So let's just do that. Um, Yeah, let's do that. Let's close our eyes. And let's just think about something that may have stood out for you that Oren has said about revenge, hurt, pain, the slap in the face. Maybe you've been the one that's done that. Maybe you've received something like that and there needs to be some forgiveness. So just ask Jesus yourself do you need do I need to know anything God do you need to tell me something about this
2: break stick beating down the pass from Robertson aloe vera pealed across the Nullarbor down to the rim never crossed my mind to think about where it's been no oh, hammerhead and brackish water I can't see what's right in front of me but I never bothered sure as hell nobody taught us and I never thought of singing
0: God, we just thank you, Lord, for dropping these things into our hearts just now, Lord God, a thought or a reminder, Lord God. And I just ask as the week goes on that we would um, seek you out, Lord God, and spend time with you, Lord God, and and just um, mull over the things that we've learnt tonight and been told and reminded of, Lord Jesus, that to, to be free in you, Lord God, means forgiveness, means letting go lord jesus and just ask you it's in your power and your grace that we do these things lord god on our own we just want vengeance and so lord god we just ask you to fill our hearts with your love lord god that we might be lovers of others even our enemies and those that drive us crazy whatever lord god that your love would shine through us lord god We thank you We thank you for the opportunity this week to go out and love. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.